Hey everybody, thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show here, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week I am joined by Miranda Miller, who is making her return to the show after a couple years to talk about everything that she's been up to over the last bit, because she's taken an interesting turn with her career and has moved away from racing full-time and is instead exploring a whole lot of other facets of biking, including delving into gravel and a whole range of stuff. And she talks really openly about the need to evolve in one's life and career and the ways that she felt like she had just really stagnated and was doing the same things over and over again and wanted to change and made it happen. So... It's a cool conversation. She's got some good stuff to say about just life as a pro rider, but also kind of not getting stuck in a rut and letting one's momentum carry them into doing the same thing over and over if it's not making you happy. And it's a pretty cool one. So I think you'll enjoy it. I sure did. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Miranda Miller. Well, Miranda, great to sit down and chat. How are you doing and where are you this morning? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm in Squamish at home, Squamish, BC. And yeah, just kind of gearing up for Crankworks. Starts at the end of the weekend or end of the week. So yeah, likewise. Uh, feels like it's really kind of coming down to the wire here and a lot to get sorted out. But uh, looking forward to it. That'll be fun. But yeah, I mean, kind of main goal of having you back on here. It's been a few years and uh, you've kind of taken a bit of a twist in your career and decided to do some different stuff that has been really interesting and a lot of fun to follow along with. So just kind of wanted to chat about that and get your side of the story for what made you decide to shake things up and how it's all been going over the last year and a half or so. So to kick it off, just would be curious to kind of hear your take on where this plan to start Divergent Minds is and in fact, what Divergent Minds is and how it all kind of came together. Yeah, good questions. Um, I guess it was at the end of the 2021 season. Kona was, they had a race team, but it never really felt like they were into it, um, sort of into the racing. And which is fair. Like, I think sometimes it's hard to see like the value in these things, especially when not everyone goes to the events and stuff. Um, and I also just kind of felt like I was repeating myself a little bit. Like I don't love enduro the same way that I love downhill. Um, so like, you know, I'd really like half the rounds and the other half the rounds I'd be like, Oh, this is, (laughs) you know, (laughs) come from Squamish. So it like takes a lot to please me. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I just never had that same passion for enduro uh, that I did for downhill. And so I was just beginning to get a little unmotivated with the EWS. Um, and so, yeah, I, I knew I needed to do something differently if I wanted to like remain in the industry. Like, you know, there's not a lot of value to the EWS racing if you're not a top racer, really. Uh, like no one's... No one's watching the top 10 come down on their TV screens. Uh, whereas like, you know, downhill top 30, you can, you hold a lot of value. Um, it, 
EWS is obviously a little bit different and that's fine because that's the nature of the sport. It's, it's more of an adventure, you know? Um, but yeah, I was just feeling a little bored and wanted a chance to be more creative. So I kind of just took a chance and thought I'd start making content, <laughs> you know, it was one thing that every time I would ask my sponsors, like, you know, like, what are you, you know, what are you looking for? I mean, the answer was always reels. Um, and I was like, well, <laughs> I can do those, but I want to do a little bit more than that. And for me, I felt, you know, there's like maybe five people in the world that I want to watch like an action edit of. And I'm personally, I'm not one of those people. Uh, so it was more storytelling. I was like, well, I do like storytelling. Like all the media that I'm drawn to is more story-based. Uh, like a lot of Rafa's stuff or like the Lachlan Morton videos, things like that, where you kind of go on, you know, you feel like you're sort of a part of an adventure. Um, and then also... I always felt that we got to go to all these like incredible places, but we never had time to really enjoy them or meet people at these locations. Uh, you would end up traveling with the same group for the EWS. And I mean, that's, that's cool because those are rad people, but you don't get to meet the locals or the the trail builders or kind of like just get a sense of where you are in the world. Um, it's usually just broken down into what racetrack you're racing. So that was kind of like my motivation and Kona was keen and they really supported me that first season. Like um, that, that was really cool that they, they kind of just gave me free reign. Um, you know, they're like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Do what you want. <laughs> well, yeah, that's cool. And I think that's sort of precisely what has really kind of drawn me into what you've been up to is, you know, kind of like you said, there are a billion shreddits out there of people just, writing stuff and some of them are pretty cool but there are a functionally infinite number of them and just what you're doing feels like a very different take on kind of medium length mountain bike videos and i mean what you said about just being drawn to and interested in narrative storytelling rather than just cool looking writing and visually striking stuff very much checks out but how did you kind of come up with the more specific format that you wanted to go for and build out this vision for what you were going to do? Um, well, I sort of had, like, I had a few ideas. I really wanted to, a big thing for me was, because everyone was talking about the value of this, the value of racing. So then my idea was like, well, let's try and create the most value out of one of these trips. So if you're going to fly across the world, how much can we do in one trip? Um, and so the first year uh, that we did this series, we're on season two now, but so for season one, our first trip was to the UK. And so we went uh, to the EWS in Interlethen. And so, and I brought my uh, Kona teammate, Caleb Polanco with me, cause he's a free rider and never raced before. And so that was kind of part of the story was, sort of making him branch out and experience a different aspect of cycling. But then once we were there, we were able to spend more time in Interlethen and we hosted uh, like some kids coaching. We did a trail day. We, we were able to sort of spend a little extra time and try and give back a little bit to this community that has given us this, such an awesome event. Um, 
And I think right there, that's like pretty good value in itself. Going to the EWS, you would never get to do that because you would be like, oh, I'm going to be too tired. <laughs> I got to have my, I got to have my feet up today. Um, so by kind of like abandoning a pursuit of performance, you're able to do sort of more meaningful things. And then that one trip to the UK, we then piggybacked another episode. So we were able to film two episodes on one trip, create a little side supporting content from it. We were both able to race. We did some coaching. We did some trail building and the amount of value that one trip had, uh, was way bigger than if I had just gone to Scotland to do the EWS and then left and gone to the the next race. Um, so that was kind of part of it. And then the stories kind of just, I had a few places I wanted to go maybe. Um, and then they kind of just worked themselves out in time. Maybe I got lucky. <laughs> uh, but then I'm also working with a, a good friend and a very talented uh, sort of like, he's really good at documentaries uh, his name's Graham Meeklejohn. And so he grew up in North Van, lives in Squamish now. And so he's really good at maybe if I have an idea for an episode, he knows how to execute it and the shots we need to get or things like that. Um, so it's been really cool to work with Graham because he's, yeah, he's very talented and can kind of do everything. Like he's filming, he's doing the photos, uh, he's helping direct, things like that. So that's been a huge part of it. Yeah. And when you were kind of considering how to make a bit of a career pivot, you know, you mentioned earlier just being not as jazzed about enduro and feeling kind of burned out on doing that. Did you consider maybe attempting to really get back into downhill full-time or doing something along those lines? Or was it really the case that you just felt like you wanted to do something truly different that you hadn't done before and figuring out that path? What did, did that ever cross your mind or what would that kind of thought process like? Um, not really. I think, I think my motivation was to try to increase my time in the industry. Uh, it's like obviously what I love. And when you are just a racer, your time is based on those, that number next to your name, you know? So that was just like another, yeah, I could have, could have put my head down and tried to get back into downhill, but the level is so high right now. It, you probably can't do that in a year. You know, it would take a few years and like, I'm 33 now. I've been supported by a lot of great brands for a long time, but it's like, at what point do those brands be like, whoa, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I felt like I needed to try and give back a bit more to all these brands that have always supported me. Um, so, yeah. No, fair enough. And um, I mean, I think one thing that is cool about this whole project is that it has opened up the door for you to, just ride a lot of different kinds of bikes in a lot of different ways. And, you know, you have been doing a little bit of downhill, at least you were at downhill Southeast, if I have it right earlier this year and yeah. been doing everything from that to gravel riding. And where did the gravel component of this come in? Cause it's certainly outside of what has been your wheelhouse, let's say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And where did that enter the picture here? Yeah. It's funny. Um, I, I don't really know. I, like racing downhill, my friends and I all rode road bikes. Mm -hmm. Um, we all really enjoyed road riding and we'd all go to like, uh, group trips to Tucson and stuff like Finns come with us a couple times. And yeah, we, we always went road riding, uh, where we live. Road riding is terrible. We have like one road, <laughs> right. highway 99. It goes North 
and south and then we have like a valley road that runs parallel uh so it's like actually the worst uh and so gravel bikes are pretty cool here and i was inspired by one of lachlan's videos where he it was like the i can't remember the race called but it's the length of great britain and they see how fast they can they can ride the length of great britain and it just looked like such a crazy experience of this like elite endurance athlete pretty much reaching rock bottom by like, you know, pushing himself so hard, riding through the night, uh, doing all these things to me that seemed crazy. Um, mm-hmm. seemed like I could, I could never do that. Um, but then I was like, well, yeah, I won't ride as far as him, but I can still try. Yeah. <laughs> I can still like ride all night and see what that feels like. Uh, so that was one of the ideas, uh, as an episode and part of the series too, I wanted to be able to highlight, uh, so like the first series, I wanted to be able to highlight all the different bikes that Kona had, for example, instead of in the past, I only rode the process X, whereas this would be like, well, you know, you have an, ar- an array of bikes. We can sort of cater episodes to those products. Um, and then that kind of works in partner with like my, my other, my other sponsors, you know, the SRAM, the mullet drivetrain for gravel, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, yeah, okay, let's do a gravel one. And so the idea was that I would get a friend to build me a route and then I'd have to go ride that route uh, in mm-hmm. one go or as quickly as I could mm-hmm. can. So I ended up riding 340K, uh, almost all gravel from northern Vancouver Island to a town called Campbell River. Um, so I started in a very remote area called San Joseph Bay, um, like big logging camps and stuff out there. San Joseph Bay is a park and it's like incredibly beautiful, but it, yeah, it's very remote. And then, yeah, so I just started at 8am and rode for as long as I could. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think I finished at 6am just outside Campbell River and I was like falling asleep on my bike and there's all the logging trucks were starting to go to work. And I was like, okay, this is when I call it. Like (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm proud of what I've done, but I'm not about to get absolutely smoked here. Yeah. Uh, And then, and then (laughs) since that video, I've just been invited to do all this gravel stuff. Uh (laughs) I'm like. You know, I'm not like good at this, right? <laughs> I really dislike the idea of you watching that video of the race across Great Britain and being like, that looks terrible. I'm going to do that. And well, yeah, pretty much as someone who is sort of similarly, mostly a gravity oriented mountain biker who has dabbled very lightly in gravel riding and is sort of lightly curious, but has never really caught the bug yet. I just I'm sort of. I've been trying to figure out how to get myself more excited about the idea in a way. Like it's something that I would like to be into, but haven't quite gotten it to land yet. And uh, so it's just always sort of curious to hear from folks who at some point were in a similar boat of kind of what made it stick and what made it actually seem fun. I think, I think like gravel is super cool in the sense that I've been able to go on these gravel trips and see so much more of a country than I would ever see going for a mountain bike trip or there's something just so special about when you're on a bike riding through a place you actually get to feel it and kind of like get a sense of where you are and people the locals are always so so not like it's such a welcoming thing everyone understands a bike uh so people will always come up to talk to you and you just don't get that when you drive through a town in a car or something like that um our buddies and i did a trip last maybe two years ago now where we rode our bikes from austin to new orleans 
Um, we were just, you know, choosing random hotels in these like tiny towns in Texas and Louisiana. And it was just so cool because you got to see this totally different place that you would never, I'd never go mountain biking there. Um, and it was just, people were just so stoked. Like every gas station, people were coming up to you and be like, what are you doing? And, and everyone understood that distance when you're, they're like, where'd you come from? And we're like, Austin. They're like, whoa, that's like, that's like four hours in a car or whatever. And so they all understood what we were doing. Like maybe they couldn't relate doing it themselves, but they all like understood how far we had come or how far we were going. And uh, that was like a super special trip. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I think, yeah, you just, you just get access to places you don't usually get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that touches on something else that I've really appreciated about the video series is that I think you've done a really cool job of highlighting places that aren't necessarily premier riding destinations that are sort of top of mind for, you know, you, you know, you've done some stuff at home too and Squamish and whatever, but you've gotten out into some places that yeah, aren't necessarily on the list of the most obvious places to go ride a bike. And um, how have you kind of approached figuring out where you want to go and what you want to cover from that perspective? Because there's been some very interesting diversity to it and covering <laughs> some places that are a little more off the map. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Japan it's funny. Japan was probably my favorite episode from our first season. And it was the one that we were the least prepared for. We, I was just like, we had friends that, uh, I grew up racing with that were Japanese. And I always kind of wondered like where they rode, you know, I was just like, I've never been to Japan. So I know obviously it's an incredible skiing destination. Uh, but I had no idea what the mountain biking was like. So we're like, screw it let's just go to japan and check it out <laughs> and it ended up being like one of the fit like the best trips i've ever been on um so yeah it and it's i would recommend mountain biking in japan you know for a plethora of reasons but that one i just wanted to go to japan and it worked out so i feel like we just got really lucky on that one <laughs> well yeah tell us some more about the japanese mountain biking scene i spent some time over there but have never ridden there and love it as a country and place to visit but know almost nothing about what is going on there mountain bike wise so would be curious to hear some more about that yeah it was a really cool trip like we we started in we, we actually went to arrive first because that's where they hosted the world cup i think it was like 99 they had a downhill world cup and so my friend finn finals his dad works in awry or he, he was working in awry and uh, he'd do some of the guys there. And I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to go and see if, like, they could build a trail again and, like, host a race. Because they're trying to – talking to Jenya, my friend from Japan, they're definitely trying to find these, like, new places. Or I think land use is quite hard in Japan. Uh, a lot of it is private. Uh, so they're always trying to kind of figure out new places to build. And since Arai had a World Cup, we're like, oh, we should go talk to them as it was kind of close to – uh, half about where we were going after that. And, uh, or sorry, uh, Fujiton. No, Fu Fujimi Panorama. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we ended up going to Arai and just spending a couple of days with the marketing guy there and checking out the terrain. Um, and it's difficult, you know, they had a, they were in a pretty bad spot coming out of COVID. 
And so they want to develop mountain biking, but they just like don't have the funding for it right now. But that was like sort of like a kind of a cool history thing, I think, for me. That's like a big fan going and you could see like where the old World Cup track was. Um, and then later when we're actually at the Red Bull downtown, right? Downtown race, we found all these like old Japanese fans that had been to Arai and watched the World Cup. And it was like such a cool connection. Um, but yeah, we went to Fujimi Panorama, which is probably their biggest bike park. And that's where Jenya wants to host uh, an EWS in the future. And it's, it's a huge park. It actually kind of blew me away with how big it was, like big gondola. Like a top to bottom run is like pretty, I don't know the vertical drop, but it was like decent. Um, good variety of trails. And then Fujitin was the last place we stopped. And that's like right at the base of Mount Fuji. And all the dirt is like this crazy crushed volcanic and it makes like this crazy sound when it like hits your down tube. Uh, really short, short uh, laps, but super fun. Definitely probably more of a family oriented park. Um, but yeah, really fun, fun riding. And the scene is like, it's hilarious. Like everyone is so passionate and into riding. And, you know, like everyone has Chromag, <laughs> like color matching Chromag. I'll have these sick vans that are like, perfectly set up in the parking lot everything's pristine um you can just yeah it's just an incredible place like you can just leave your riding bag or your bike and no one would ever think of messing with it or stealing anything um and yeah people were just so keen like in fujiton it was like the closing weekend and they had a barbecue and we just did like non-stop laps with everyone and it was, yeah, it was, it was really, really incredible. And so, so funny, like you meet all these, these Japanese riders and like most of them have all been like, oh yeah, when I was in Whistler or <laughs> when I was in Squamish and then instantly you have this connection. Um, and it, it's pretty cool. That is super cool. And not really the main point of what you just said, but do you have any idea how Chromag became such a big deal over there? <laughs> I'm just very curious on that one. Fair enough if you don't, yeah. but there's got to be a story there. Know. Yeah, I th maybe. I think a lot of the product that people run has to do with their distribution. Um, I think that's probably the hardest thing is that you can't, it's not easy to get everything. So it's like if there's a distributor for it, it's going to be successful. Yeah. Like I probably saw more Kronos there than I have like ever seen. Um, and so a and F bikes is a huge distributor for Kona. Um, I yeah. think they do Kona and like Rocky mountain and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, <laughs> but, but everyone, yeah. Lots of Chrome stems, pedals. Yeah. Bars. Yeah. Fair enough. And I guess just, you know, in amidst all this, you have stepped back from racing full time, but are still certainly still doing a good chunk of racing. And, um, you know, you were in Tasmania earlier this year for the EDRs there. And how are you kind of picking and choosing what you do want to race these days when you're doing it sort of part time, but not necessarily doing the full series and kind of doing bits and pieces? How's that coming together? Yeah, um, I guess I should explain that. So for the first season of Here, There, Everywhere, I had created this brand called Divergent Minds. Um, and I created that because 
I didn't have one sponsor that was going to sort of own the series. Um, so I was trying to, so I created a brand that would host it and then it would be a little more equal, I guess, to all the supporting sponsors instead of, you know, giving it to one for, to have their sort of logo and stuff with. So it was more a way for me to kind of keep that like equal. Um, and then for season two, uh, SRAM has come on board and it is exclusively a SRAM series. Uh, and so it'll live directly on SRAM's channel and I'm doing content creation pretty much exclusively for SRAM. Uh, I still have some of my own personal sponsors, but yeah, mostly, mostly creating content for SRAM. So part of that for this year, uh, some of the projects are a little bit more working closely with SRAM sponsored events or locations, but I had pretty much still free reign over the here, there, everywhere series. So we, changed it from five episodes to six episodes. Um, and then part of going to Tasmania was to do a piece on Medina. It's like a pretty crazy, I mean, I don't know if you've been there, but it's like an incredible bike park and it's only five years old. And so that was kind of part of the motivation there. And then, so anytime that I can go to an event, I'm going to race it. <laughs> Whether I'm like, it, it's definitely hard to be competitive at these things when the bulk of your time and energy is filming and producing these things, but I'm sort of okay with it because I, I just love the act of racing. Of course, I wish I could do better at these races, but the amount of energy you have to put in to do well at an EWS now, you just can't, or an EDR, you can't do both. And for me, the priority is, are these videos, um, and so I still just love to be there and, you know, I see my friends and I get to get to be competitive. Um, and so it's been cool to kind of double up at these, at these events. So I think now, now that we've, we've finished filming all of season two already. And so I'll do some racing at the end of the year, just for myself. And so it's, just pick and choose based on my schedule and what seems cool to me. Like I'm going to go race the Chattel e uh, EDR. Cause that's like the first time they've, they've had one there and, you know, I'd love to go experience that and I have the time. So yeah, it's kind of a mix of what we can combine with filming. And then also if I have a want and an interest and free time, um, it's kind of, yeah, yeah kind of right the dream on. scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. Uh, and I have not been to Medina, but it's pretty high on the sort of ever-growing list of places I'd love to go ride. And um, I forget where this was, but in maybe in one of the videos from Medina, you had the line, uh, at most races, I really like two stages, really hate one, and trick myself into liking <laughs> the rest. And But then the follow-up to that was that like everything at Medina was awesome. And... I just really liked that bit because it sort of resonated with my own experience of racing enduro by and large at, you know, um, of having come into it as a downhiller first and then um, sort of done a solid handful of them over the years. And it's like that was just like, yep, that is mostly racing enduro for me, too. I like that. Yeah. Little bit. I think Matt, Walk Matt Walker had a good quote after winning that last round he's like if you're having fun you're not going fast enough <laughs> and that that for me is like enduro right there because downhill even downhill will probably always be fun you know 
Yeah. Even if, even in a race, like you're so focused. So you're not like, yeah, I'm having fun, but it is, you get those good sensations generally in an enduro. If you're doing well, you don't have those good sensations, <laughs> you know, Yeah. you're breathing out your eyes. Everything feels janky. Yep. You know, so it's funny. And like, I think that's been the biggest crux for me racing enduro is that I'm very feeling based rider. So it's like, if I like it, it's fun. I can push myself. But then as soon as you're like out of that, you're just like, ah. <laughs> how do you even go fast on these trails or something, you know? But, but yeah, I, I like Matt's quote too. Yeah, that is also <laughs> pretty good. And kind of, I guess along those lines, we can go here. Um, I mean, I haven't done a downhill race in forever now, but I've been really wanting to get out to downhill Southeast and get, get back on a big bike and do some of that. You were at one of the races earlier in the year and just tell us about that scene. Cause it looks like they have built something really incredible down there. Yeah. We went to the Zirconia. So they just had national champs there. Uh, so we went to the Rad Rock Creek round in April. I think it was um, to, to make a video about the downhill Southeast and uh, sort of what Nico has created. And I was friggin' blown away. Like, I did not expect those events to be that good. Um, just, just everything about it, the way the schedule is set is really catered to, to professionals. So what well, that, that might sound, but I think that's important because you create a race that pros want to go to that helps the entire series. All these kids get to race with Aaron Gwynn, with Luca Shaw, because these are attractive races for pros to go to. Um, and then even for these kids that are trying to make that leap into the next sort of, whether it's, you know, national champs or if it's racing a world cup, um, having these properly scheduled events, like, you know, you have really limited practice, which is you have a couple hours of practice and that's great. That's all you need because when you go to a world cup and you only have like two hours of practice and you're used to having eight hours of practice, you know, it doesn't really translate. And that was something I always struggled with um, coming from like the Canada cup series that you would literally just ride the track all day. And it wouldn't, wouldn't be purposeful riding. You'd just be like doing laps cause you're a kid or whatever. And then you would go to a world cup and have two hours of practice and be like, well, I can't learn a track in two hours, but, but you have to. And so Nico's kind of structured everything to, to make, make performance out of out of everything so the tracks are built in a way that you know demand you to set up your bike properly uh the schedule is very sort of sharp and precise you have only have a couple hours you you know there's seating there's race uh they do podium after every category which i i'd say everyone out there do podiums after <laughs> because sometimes people have to leave and if they have to hang out till 5 6 p.m. or whatever like yeah it's just it's not as good when there's empty podiums or you know you're trying to catch a ferry and they're like throwing raffle prizes into the crowd for like two hours um so yeah you would race podiums would be done next category would start uh they'd do pros first and then everyone could watch the pros race and then go up and do their runs uh, there was ca like 10 cameras on track filming all the pros runs. There was live splits. There was commentators. Yeah, it was honestly incredible. And 
I think it was really cool to see the work that Nico and Sean, like from Windrock, all those guys have done in building these facilities because they're pretty small mountains. Like Windrock's pretty big, but Ride Rock Creek is a pretty small hill, but their use of the terrain and like how many riders that they can turn around in those shuttles is really impressive. And it just makes for a really run well-run event. And yeah, it was cool to, I don't know, I guess kind of see too where like Luca, I'm good friends with like Luca and Walker Shaw. And so I actually get to see where they grew up and like where they were riding. And then also just see how many people were coming out to these events that, you know, Nico and, Luke and all them pretty much started with a stopwatch. Um, and it's, it's really, really cool. I feel like racers love to complain about things and say why, you know, Oh, you know, I do it all the time. You're like, Oh, I like Canada only has three downhill races or whatever, but I'm not actually doing anything about it. Um, where Nico did something about it and created something incredible for not only himself, but, built like a whole downhill community in a place where there wasn't really one before. Yeah. And kind of what you just finished on there, it's like something that I think a lot of people have been talking about and trying to puzzle out for a while is that it hasn't felt like until, you know, kind of recently again, that the U S had a very well-developed downhill race scene going and Nico's just gone and rebuilt it. And it's been, cool to follow along from afar and i really need to get down there one of these days for one but uh really good to hear that it is in fact as awesome as it looks from from the internet so um yeah need to make that happen um but sort of bring it back around to your projects i mean i guess you've already mentioned that you've finished up filming season two already um so kind of what's on tap for the rest of the summer then and do you have anywhere that's especially top of your list that you want to go for a future project um yeah so we we wrap filming here there everywhere by the end of june uh so march to june we shot the six episodes of that and then the rest of the summer i'll be doing a little bit of sram tv um and that's sort of like event coverage uh, so we did one at Stone King Rally at the end of the month, and then I'll do one next month at Steamboat Gravel in Colorado, and then might do a couple more towards the end of the summer. But then, yeah, I'm just going to go race Chattel and then maybe do like a, a three-day sort of camping, bikepacking trip with Physique in Sylvania um, at the end of September. Uh, I, f- I feel like I'm keeping the end of my summer pretty loose just in case, you know, things pop up. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty excited to go back to Europe and go to Chattel, maybe ride Morzine and stuff. Yeah. Just gonna like, I feel like the first half of my summer was very structured and organized because we had, we had these goals to hit and now I'm just going to kind of let, let her buck a bit more and see what happens. Sweet. And yeah, anywhere that is not necessarily in the plans yet, but just kind of floating around your brain is somewhere that you're really itching to get to. I mean, it's always somewhere, you know, <laughs> uh, that trip I mentioned when we rode from Austin to New Orleans, I really want to do another version of that. Um, 
we're saying we should we should try and make it a an annual thing where we end in New Orleans each time, but <laughs> maybe start somewhere different. Um, oh, so I definitely want to do that again. I was in uh, Derby in Tasmania. Glenn Jacobs was talking about this new bike park they're building in Norway that is going to be. I can't remember its name now, but it, he said in five years it's going to be absolutely incredible in 10 years. It's going to be Europe's largest riding destination or something. And they're actually installing chairlifts for this bike park. Um, like it's not, it's not just a ski resort that is mm-hmm. turning its attention to mountain bikes. It's like a brand new place for mountain bikes. Um, wish I could remember the name, but I can't. Uh, so you kind of want to go check that out. <laughs> yeah. That sounds more than a little bit. Okay. Uh, this is actually the first yeah. I've heard of it, but um <laughs> My ears have perked up on that one. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are about a million places out there to, that, to go. That's and the thing. hard to narrow down the <laughs> list sometimes. So Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like it's uh, pretty incredible that I've got to go to all these places already. Like we, you know, we went to Finland Gravel in June for Valtteri Bottas's gravel race. And we're in finale for two weeks before that. I got to do Stone King Rally already, like from March to the end of June. I've, you know, had probably one of the best years of my life and all because of this film series. And I think that's pretty, pretty special and pretty unreal that uh, a brand like SRAM is down to kind of support it. So it's kind of one of those things you're like, man, if... If it all ends tomorrow, I had a good run. <laughs> I'm going to try to try to, you know, make sure it doesn't, but right. It's been pr- pretty incredible so far. Yeah, I mean, glad to hear it and it's certainly been a good time following along. So that might be a good place to <laughs> wrap it up. I think kind of hit a nice little final note there, but appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun and um yeah. Been great. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Easy. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we would appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I'd also like to say thanks to Miranda for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll be back again next week. Bye, everybody.